Yo, what's up, age 12? Love you too. I just about knocked my batteries out. Oh, that would have been bad. <clears throat> well, I hope you guys are having an amazing night. And like I said, thank you guys for being here tonight with all the craziness going on. How many of you guys leave to go uh, out of town vacation tomorrow? Anybody in here? A few people? I do. I'm heading to the lake tomorrow. Yes. Now, I could have left for the lake today, but I was like, you know what? I want to be at H12 tonight with my favorite people in the entire world, you. And so, I love you guys. And, um, and I, want to, uh, I want to talk to you guys tonight. Uh, and and I, I think it's just kind of cool because it kind of feels like a living room setting a little bit tonight. You know, like we're in the living room having this conversation. And, uh, and I think what we're going to talk about tonight is something that is deeply meaningful to me. And I think that, that it should be deeply meaningful to you. Because if you can get and understand and grasp what we're going to talk about tonight, it's really going to help you set up some things for your future. And that's what we're going to talk a little bit about tonight is your future. Because we're in this series next and next is all about looking at our past because our past informs our future. It is, it is looking at the decisions and the things that are happening in our present and how those things affect our future. And then looking ahead, dreaming, looking ahead at what God has for us in our future and trusting God that whatever our future is like, whatever is out there for us is better than anything we could ever think or imagine. In fact, we've been reading that scripture every week. And the Bible tells us that that. He has immeasurably more for us, immeasurably more. That if you can imagine how much God has for you, it is immeasurably more. It is beyond that, that you cannot even fathom what God has for you in your life if you walk with him, if you surrender your life to him, if you let him guide your life, if you let him lead you. You have no idea. And what I can tell you is there are students in this room that can attest to that. There are adults in this room that can attest to that. They've seen God do immeasurably more. They had plans for something in their future, and the way God ended up turning it out and making it and bringing it together ended up being far greater than they ever imagined and ever thought. And that's how it's been in my life. So many things that have happened that I'm like, God, I I, I was wanting to do it this way. You know how I like to control things. I was wanting to control my future and control this. And, and God, where you ended this situation up, man, like I, I never, I never would have figured that out. I never would have thought that. And that's kind of where we are, talking about the future. And on your paper there, on your notes there, if you're taking notes, I, I, I put some at the top of your notes. I want to read it. I want to talk a little bit. I want to come back to it. But I'll put this at the top of your notes. <clears throat> your choices in big moments in big moments, you can underline that, double underline it, triple underline it, big moments shape your future. We've been looking at the story in Numbers 13 and 14 of, of Moses and the Israelites, the 12 spies that Moses sent out into the promised land. The promised land, this is the land that God promised Abraham generations before. This is the land that they have been looking forward to inhabiting, taking over. And so Moses pulls together 12 men from the 12 tribes of Israel, and he sends them to spy out the land. And if you've been tracking with us over the last couple of weeks, you know that what happened is they go into the land and they see that the land is all that God said it was. It's the land flowing with milk and honey. The, the, the crops are great. The land is fertile. It is a beautiful land. And it is a land that God would want his people to be in. But when they got back and they gave the report of all the good things that were in the land, when Moses was ready to rally the troops to go take the land that God had already promised them, that God has already said, I'll give that land to you, 
everybody got scared. Everybody got scared. The only two people that stood up in the whole conversation was Caleb and Joshua. Caleb and Joshua, when they checked down, they said, listen, man, like, like, like we don't agree with this. We, we think that we should go in and do it. I mean, we've seen God do all these things in our past. We saw God deliver us from Egypt. We saw God bring us through the, this, this trying time that we went through. He's provided food for us. He's provided water for us. He's provided all these things. God has stepped up. God has moved in every moment along the way. Why would we think that God wouldn't do it now? And instead of the Israelites leading by faith, they led by fear. They led by what? Fear. They let fear paralyze them. They let fear cripple them to stepping into the future that God had for them. And what happened? They were disobedient. They decided to go against God. They decided to say, you know what? We're kind of comfortable over here, like on this side of the river. We don't want to cross the Jordan and go into the promised land. We're, we're kind of comfortable right here. We're just going to hang out here. And God's like, no, 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 no. listen, you don't understand that in order for my blessing to be on you, you have to be obedient. You have to walk in, step into what I have for you. And they were unwilling to be obedient to God. And God was not happy, to say the least. Listen, they had come to this big moment in their life. This big moment. The future was bright. God has already told them that he has immeasurably more for them on the other side. But they saw all the obstacles in the way, and they got afraid. And instead of honoring God, being obedient to God in this big moment, they let their fear paralyze them, and they did not walk in what God had for them. And it cost them. Students, listen. You guys have moments every day in your life. You have big moments that happen in your life. And when those moments come, you have the opportunity to step in, to walk with God, to step into what he has for you. And it can open up for you something that is so unbelievable. But most of us are so comfortable, most of us get paralyzed with fear that we can never walk in those moments that he has for us. For some of us, you're going to be at the end of your life and say, man, God's a liar. God's a liar. My life is a waste. There's nothing substantial that I can look back to. What is this, all this talk about God having immeasurably more for me? And here's my question. Is it because God's a liar? Or is it because you did not walk with him? You did not be, you were not obedient to him to get to walk in the immeasurably, immeasurably more than he has for you. And what we see here is, is that this one decision, one decision in this one big moment in their life cost them greatly. It cost them the opportunity to go into the land. Not only that, but this entire generation, God said, could not enter into the land. The Bible says here in Numbers 14, he says, not only that, but like no one who is 20 years old or older can enter into the promised land. Not a single one of you, except for Joshua and Caleb. In Numbers 14, Numbers 14 uh, uh, verse 30, it says this, not one of you will enter the land I swore uh, with that that." The land I swore with lifted hands to make your home. God swore this to him except Caleb and Joshua. God said, these are the only two guys that are going. These are the only two guys that are obedient with me. 
And what happens is, and, this, you, and you think about it, you go and you read the story, you think about it. What happens is, is that, that now the Israelites, because of one decision and one big moment in their life, instead of following what God had for them, it led to all these other decisions in their life, and it led them into this, this period of wandering in the wilderness. For 40 years. Now, they didn't know when this was going to end. They didn't know when this was going to be over. And can you imagine every time, every time a year would pass, they would be like, man, like, is this, is there going to be another? Can you imagine just wandering around, not knowing where to go, not being satisfied? And your gener- this whole entire generation of people are dying off because God said that none of them will enter into the promised land. And 40 years later, after that entire generation died off, including Moses, they finally get to enter into the, in the promised land 40 years later, aimlessly wandering, wandering around. As I think about that for the Israelites, man, I think about that for us. Man, the Israelites were stuck. They were stuck. Stuck in the middle of a bunch of junk. Stuck in something that they felt like they couldn't break out of because they disobeyed God or because of some moment in their past. Do you think that they didn't look back to that moment in their past every day? Man, why didn't we go into the promised land? Man, why didn't we just trust God? Man, why didn't we? And they ask this question, why, all the time. How many of you guys have ever asked the question, why? Right, like we ask the question, why, because we don't trust God. And the reason we ask the question, why, is because we can't figure out something that's happened in our past. Or because we have guilt because of something in our past. And they're stuck. And if you're taking notes there, you can put this in, t- in your notes there. The next point I'm going to put is this. We all get stuck. We all get stuck. We all get stuck. How many of you guys have ever felt stuck before? Man, I've felt stuck before. And let me tell you, when you're going through those seasons where you feel stuck and you're just kind of aimlessly wandering around, when you feel stuck in those seasons, man, like those are thirsty days. It's like being in the desert and, and like there's no, there's no nothing for as far as you can see. There's no water. There's nothing. I mean, those are thirsty days. Those are difficult days. I remember when I was in college and I'd been dating a girl for three years. I thought I was going to marry this girl and she cheated on me. I'm out punching. No, I'm just kidding. And she cheated on me. And dude, it was freaking heartbreaking for me. The next year. I mean, I was in college. I was studying to be in the ministry. The next year, I didn't date anybody. I didn't want to, man, like the next year, it was a lot of questions like, why? God, I thought this was it. She loves Jesus. She's this. She's that. God, we were, we were comfortable with each other. We had fun. With, and why, God, why? And I, I would ask this question all the time. And, and I'm right there in the middle of that wilderness. And I didn't know when it was going to end. And I couldn't think about anything else except for her. I couldn't think about anything else except for that painful moment. Any of you guys ever had a painful moment in your past or something that has happened? And you just, you can't get away from it, right? Like you're just stuck. You know what I mean? Man, I've been there, and those, those times are difficult. And, man, that's the Israelites here, man. They're stuck. I put this down. When you are stuck, life just becomes day-to-day, and there's no end in sight. You get depressed, overwhelmed, discouraged, and unhappy. And some of us are in, stuck in the wilderness right now, stuck in a wilderness that you can't get out of and is preventing you, to exper- is preventing you from experiencing the future that God has for you. Maybe there's a past sin, a past hurt, or maybe one moment in your past that haunts every moment of your life. 
a moment in your history that steals from every moment in your future. Man, when I, when I look at social media, as Matt mentioned last week, and him and I were having this conversation before he spoke last week, and we go through and we look at the H12 Twitter feed and all this kind of stuff, and we see all the tweets and stuff that students are tweeting. I mean, it's depressing. That it just seems like most students are just stuck. They can't see past the day that they're in. They can't see past the difficulties that are going on in their life. And some things really aren't that difficult, but they think that it is. And so they're just stuck. It's, it's depressing. It's, it's overwhelming. And they don't feel like they can break free from it. Earl McManus said this. He says, to relive the past is to relinquish the future. It is to let go of the future. When you are stuck, it is impossible to see the defining moments in your life. This is what I believe. In order for you to have the immeasurably more that God has for you, you have to lead in these, in these defining moments. You have to walk with God in these defining moments. But you cannot see these defining moments if you were stuck in past. If you have past pain, past sin, past things that are holding you back, you have to break free from those. You have to get away from those. You have to pull back from those. And I think what happens is, is that sometimes when we get stuck in the past, for many of us, we can never break free from it. In fact, I talk to people that are my age. I talk to people that are older than me all the time. And all they ever talk about is the past. As if the future has no hope. Their past successes, their past experiences. It's always about the past. Some people I deeply care about. Sometimes even talking to my mom. It's always about the past. It's just preventing her from moving forward in her future. It reminds me of uh, Napoleon Dynamite. Y'all seen that movie? Uncle Rico. Always living in the past. You know what I'm saying? In fact, I think we got a little clip of Uncle Rico here. Check it out. Junior Uncle Rico. Grandma took a little spill of the sand dunes today. Broke her coccyx. <laughs> so what do you think? <laughs> Pretty cool, I guess. Oh, man, I wish I could go back in time. I'd take state. This is pretty much the worst <laughs> video ever made. Napoleon, like anyone can even know that. <laughs> you know what, Napoleon? You can leave. You guys are retarded. <sighs> back in 82, I used to be able to throw a pigskin quarter mile. Are you serious? I'm dead serious. Watch this. Uh, what the heck are you doing? That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> How much you want to make a bet I can throw a football over the mountains? Yeah. If coach would have put me in fourth quarter, we'd have been state champions, no doubt. No doubt in my mind. What are you doing here, Uncle Rico? <laughs> At some point in Rico's life, he stopped living. Like, the past put a halt on his future. Always thinking about what could have been, what was. Man, I don't know if you have family members or friends or people that you know in your life that are older than you that are like that way. But let me tell you, there's more people that are like that than not. 
and is sad. They have no dreams for the future. They have no hope for the future. And what happens here in this situation is the Israelites get stuck, and there is no hope for the future. There is no dreams for the future. There's no vision for the future. There's nothing ahead of them because of what's behind them. And the second thing I want to point out to you guys, if you want to write this in your notes, is this. The second point is this. You don't have to stay stuck. We all get stuck, but you don't have to stay stuck. <clears throat> what do you do? You turn around and look up. You turn around and look up. You get unstuck by taking your eyes off the past, by facing the future, and then looking up to God and saying, God, I put it in your hands. God, wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to do, God, I surrender everything to you in my life. And when you do that, you open yourself up for the opportunities, for the divine moments, for defining moments in your life where God can move you, where God can do things in your life that you can never even imagine or experience on your own. I was stuck in that moment in, because of that broken relationship right after college. And, and, and like I said, for a year, man, I was like in this funk and I just couldn't figure out. I was like, God, I trust you. But like, man, this is a difficult thing and I'm wrestling through it. And, and finally I got to this place and God was like, hey, do you trust me? Do you trust me? Do you trust that I have immeasurably more for you? That if that girl's not the girl that I have for you, that I got somebody 10 times better for you that will blow your freaking mind? God, you know, uh, I want to trust you, but, uh, but I can't see the future, and I don't know what that looks like, and that's tough for, me to, tough for me to say. And I stopped looking at the past. I started seeking the Lord. I started chasing after the future. And God brought me 10 times, 100 times, 1,000 times more amazing woman in my wife, Megan. Immeasurably more. Immeasurably more. And you guys have to trust God. I have to trust God in those situations. And Joshua is faced with this now. They've been wandering in the wilderness now for 40 years. And this is exactly what Joshua does. Moses has died now. The leader's gone. Joshua's been appointing the leader. And he says, you know what? We're going to stop looking at the past. We're going to stop being stuck in the wilderness. It is time that we take the land that God had promised to us. Even though they were disobedient in the past, even though the past moments where we screwed up, crushed us and, and held us in kind of bondage over these last 40 years. We're going to break free from that, and we're going to go after it. And so Joshua calls together a couple guys. He sends them to spy out the land, and Joshua 1 and 2, and they spy out the land, and they come back, and they're like, yeah, 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 we're ready to go. And then in Joshua chapter uh, 4 and 5, they cross over the Jordan River, and they're, they're right there on the banks of the Jordan River. They are ready to go into Jericho to go take the first city that God has promised them in the land, and they have to break through Jericho, and Jericho was not an easy city to break through, which I'll show you in a minute. They had high walls and mighty soldiers, and they're on the bank of that river, and they set up 12 stones where to, to kind of remember what God had done. They set up 12 in the river and 12 on the bank so that the, the people for generations to come would see that, which hence is where we get the name 12 Stone Church, and, and so uh, to remember what God had done, and so they were excited about it, and, and then, they, then they're ready to go over, and God gives Joshua the game plan. You got your Bibles, you can open up to Joshua chapter 6. Joshua decided to stop looking at the past. He turned around and he looked up. He looked up to God. It starts in verse 1 and says this. Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites 
no one went out and no one came in. In other words, they were prepared. They saw the Israelites cross over the river. They were prepared for battle. They were prepared for war. There were mighty warriors in the city. And, um, and it even says, then the Lord said to Joshua, see, I've delivered Jericho in your hands along with its king and its fighting men. There's lots of uh, fighting men. And then he says this in verse 3. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carrying trumpets with ram's horns in front of the ark, the ark of the covenant. And on the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. And when you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the walls of the city will collapse and the army will go up and everyone will go straight in. I think this is such a, such a cool story when you read it because it's, it's, it's like, it's just outrageous, right? Like I can imagine Joshua's going to God and he's like, all right, God, we're going to do this thing. Like we're on the shore, we're on the banks of the, of the Jordan River, we've crossed the river, like we're going to take this land. So, so God, we're trusting you. Like, all right, so like you're going to like bring in like some fighter jets, like some helicopters, like you're going to give us some like really cool weapons. Like what are you going to do to help us like get this thing done? And, and God's like, okay, well, Joshua, this is what I want you to do. I want you to, uh, I want you to go to the city with all the people, just put the ark out there and like seven priests and you know, give them like ram's horns, like trumpets. And then like, I want you to walk around the city once each day. And then on, after six days, on the seventh day, I want you to walk around that city six times. And on the seventh time, you know, and they're blowing their trumpets and all this kind of stuff. They're going to have a loud blow at the end. And I want everybody to shout. And then the city's going to be yours. I can imagine Joshua's looking at God like, okay. So then he goes back to his people and he, he's looking at his, 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 you know, his leaders in the community and they're like, all right, what's God going to do? How, how are we going to do this thing? How is he going to, like, I mean, is he going to give us, like, some really cool weapons? Like, is he going to, like, just, like, blow the city up for us? Like, how is he going to do it? Is he going to levitate everybody up in there and slam them on the ground? And, like, we just take, like, how is this going to work, you know? And, and, and I bet he's trying to figure this kind of out. And just like, well, actually, see, what's going to happen is um, we're going to just kind of walk around the city for like six days, and on the seventh day, we're going to walk around the city, you know, just a few extra times. We're going to blow a horn. We're going to shout, and then something's going to happen. And I'm like, what, what's going uh, Whatever you say, Joshua. And, and you know what they do? This is what's so cool when you read this story. They don't even hesitate. They don't even hesitate. God tells them to do it as outrageous as it is. This is outrageous. As God, have you ever felt like God's telling you to do something outrageous before crazy? And you're like, dude, I just, I, God, I hear what you're saying. I'm not going to do that. You ever, you ever felt that way before? Man, I've felt that way so many times. God's, God's kind of prompted me in my spirit before to do things. And I'm like, God, I'm just not going to do that before. And then later on, I'm like, dang it, I should have done it. I should have listened to God. That is one of these moments. But they don't even hesitate because they remember what happened in the past last time. They're like, God, whatever you tell us to do. If you tell us to wear pink tutus and run around like ballerinas around the entire thing and, and sing kumbaya, that's what, whatever you want us to do. And so they start marching around the city. And then verse 20, notice what, I want you to see what it says. Verse 20, it says, And when the trumpet sounded, the army shouted, and at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the walls collapsed, so everyone charged straight in, and they took the city. They took the city. You don't have to stay stuck. They trusted God. 
They trusted God. Here's my question for you. What land, metaphorically, have you not taken because you don't trust God? What influence should you be having in places in your life that you are not having influence because you don't trust God? Man, this isn't just a challenge for you, it's a challenge for me. I've been challenged lately about the fact that I have not been reaching out to the people in my neighborhood, sharing the love of Christ, people who I know don't know Jesus. I've been so convicted over that over the last year. I've been inviting some of the people in my neighborhood. I've been sharing my faith with people in my neighborhood. You know what's cool? Four high school students in my neighborhood have given their life to Christ this year. I've had the opportunity to lead them to Christ. My neighbor, who I've been inviting for a year and four months to 12 Stone, came a couple weeks ago. On a Friday morning, two weeks ago, calls me. He's got a wife, blended family, several kids. Dude's Jack, tattoos up and down his arms. He calls me up and he said, he texts me and says, hey, can we talk? I called him and he says, hey, dude, I just want to tell you, I just gave my life to Jesus. And I'm baptizing him in two weeks here at 12 Stone. Sometimes we got to get to this place in our life and we say, what territory is it that God wants us to take but we're not taking because we're too comfortable where we're at, where we're sitting? Because we're just sitting around doing nothing. See, the third thing I put on your paper there is this, is that we have to seize defining moments. We have to seize defining moments. Every moment we have is unlocked by the choices that we make. Moments are doors of opportunity, and our choices are the keys that unlock those doors. Most of us don't get to walk in, 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 in all that God has for us because we never take seriously the moments ahead of us. We get so focused on today. We get so focused on ourselves. We get so focused on our own life that we can't see our neighbors. We can't see the people in the hallways of our school that don't know Jesus. Do you understand what that means for them? And we take life and we live life so casually that we have no influence anywhere. And we become what I call sideline junkies. We just get content being on the sidelines. You know, like we go to sporting events and we stand on the sidelines. We go to the school dance and we stand on the sidelines. I know that's not some of y'all. Some of y'all be like, no, nah, I'm just kidding. I ain't going to do it. <laughs> y'all like, what? Oh. Some of y'all are sitting on the sidelines. Dude, we, we come to church. We sit on the sidelines. And this is what I know. What I know is we come here and, and we, come, we do all these things and we attend. We're enthusiastic about it. We're just sitting on the sidelines. We cheer hard. We sing the songs. We cheer hard. But man, we're just sideline junkies. We treat our faith casually. We treat the fact that our friends who don't know Christ are going to be separated with God for, from God forever. And God desires and loves them so much he wants a relationship. We treat that casually. We're sideline junkies. And this is what I've learned. 
sideline junkies, people on the sidelines, they don't win the trophies. No fan has ever won the Heisman. No fan has ever won the Super Bowl. And my fear is, is that for some of us, we're going to get to heaven one day, or we're going to be standing before God one day, and we're going to say, hey, God, I'm here. And we're going to expect God to say, well done, good and faithful servant. We're going to expect God to give us the trophy of eternal life. And he's going to say back to us, the trophy of eternal life is not for fans. It's for players. And your voice is raspy from cheering, but your hands aren't dirty. And I want to challenge you this summer to dig deep in your walk with God. I want to challenge you to dig deep in what you should be doing and influencing other people. Not because I think you should be doing it, but because God desires for those people in your life to know him so deeply. And you are the vessel that he's placed in their lives to share the love of Jesus. To draw them to himself. And you cannot treat that casually and you cannot sit on the sidelines. It reminds me of an illustration that someone did back in 2006. It was brilliant. I showed it a couple years ago here in the student ministry. Um, but it's so good. You just have to see it again. It's three minutes long. Check it out. off the team, whatever, you know, just there's so much instability, so much that we don't understand, that, that we don't know. For me, growing up, it was, uh, a lot of you guys know, my mom died giving birth to me, and my dad remarried, then my stepmom died in a car accident when I was nine, then my dad got married again, then my dad died of cancer when I was 12, and so I'm in junior high, my mom's dead, my stepmom's dead, my dad's dead. The only close relatives I had were my, my aunt and uncle, George and Sandra. And then when I was in high school, they got in a fight, and my uncle George shot and killed my aunt, and then stuck the gun to his own head, killed himself. So I'm 16 years old, and this is life to me, going, man, what's next? Everything seems to be falling apart, and we get a little worried, we get a little scared. And this is what Christians do, you know, they try to serve God, but then things get a little rocky. And things get a little unstable. And so we go, okay, that was nuts. I don't, I don't, want, to, I don't want to live like that. Let me, uh, let me hold on. And this is your routine. This is what so many people do. They go, you know what? I'm not going to try anything crazy. I'm just going to sit here. And uh, I'm just going to hold on. And uh, this is what you look like. You just go, uh, this is what people do. You know what? I'm just going to have my nice little family. We're just going to... Um, you know, we're just going to keep to ourselves. We're going to live in a gated community. I'm going to homeschool my kids, make them wear helmets everywhere. I'm going to, um, you know, I'm not going to let them outside because sun has bad rays. I'm going to, um, you know, just on and on and on. And you just live your life in the safety of I don't want to do anything crazy for God. I just, I just want to, you know, go to church on Sundays and maybe give like 2%. Um, and uh, maybe serve help in nursery because I feel guilty. And then you do this your whole life, 
And then you, you go, your greatest prayer is like, God, you know what? I would love to die in my sleep and not even feel it and then just go up to heaven. And so th- you want to die like this, just in your sleep, ooh, right in the middle of a dream, good dream, a dream you're going to heaven and you don't even feel it. And then suddenly you wake up, you stand before the judge and you go. <laughs> now, if... Uh, Could you imagine, could you imagine watching the Olympics, you know? And some girl does that, just gets up there, starts straddling the thing, and then steps off and goes. What is the judge supposed to do on the card? You see, and to me, I go, man, that's the routine that so many Christians are headed for. That's the routine, the boring, I do nothing crazy because I don't want to fall. I, I, that, that's the routine that they're going to live, and then one day it's going to be a shock because they're going to step off that balance beam and realize they're standing before the judge. They're standing before the judge, and you think he's going to look at that routine and go, Wow, well done. Well done. You live the safest life possible. You didn't slip. You didn't fall. See, that's not the life that God's called us to. That's where the majority will head. But I don't want to go where the majority goes. So worth it. So worth the watch. I love this quote. Tragedy is not dying young, but it is growing old and having never lived. Tragedy is not dying young, but it is growing old, old and have never lived. And what I think is cool about that quote is, and what I think the challenge for you is, is that all of you guys have futures ahead of you. And you have these defining moments that are going to come in your life. And the truth is, is that you're going to have five or six major defining moments that will shape your entire life, influence your entire future. This defining moment for the Israelites shaped their entire future. This was the land that they inhabited all the way through. They, even when they were taken into captivity, they came back. This is the land they inhabited all the way through. This is where Jesus did his ministry in this land. This is where all of this stuff took place because they were obedient to God in this moment. This one defining moment shaped the entire history for the people of God. The entire history. Their entire future. Man, I have about four or five defining moments in my life. And they shape thousands of decisions that I make every single week. One of the biggest defining moments in my life, one of the four major defining moments in my life, was when I got called into ministry. I'll never forget that conversation with God. I'd been a Christian for like four or five months. And God's like, dude, you know that desire you have to see your friends come to know Christ? You see your friends who are teenagers who don't get it. You remember when you didn't get it and now you're 17 years old and, and you just figured this thing out and, and you, you've accepted me. And like, dude, you're going to help other high school students get this for the rest of your life. That's what you're going to do. And I'm like, God, I, I can't do that. Like, God, I'm, I'm not good in front of people. God, I'm not qualified. 
There's so many obstacles in the way. God, I hear what you're saying, man, but the walls are big and the people, man, I just, I just, I just can't do it. And then I started talking to my parents about it. And my parents were like, dude, you're going to be a youth pastor? So where are you going to go to school? I, I have no idea. And you know if you go to a Christian school, like, that's going to be a lot of money. And we don't have money. And I'm like, I, I hear you. I, I don't know. What, I don't know, man. I just know God. I think God's calling me to this thing. You know if you're a youth pastor, like, you're going to be poor the rest of your life. You're not going to make any money. Youth pastors don't make any money. Yeah, I, I know, I, I know, I hear, I hear you, Mom and Dad. I, 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 hear, I hear what you're saying. Like, it's irrational. I know it's irrational. I know it doesn't make sense. I just, I just feel this stirring in my, in my heart. I just feel this stirring what I'm going to do. And I'm talking to my friends about it, and they're like, they're like, Derek, dude, you're not going to be a youth pastor, man. Here I am. Been a youth pastor for 12 years. And let me tell you, every single day I make decision after decision after decision that is affected by that one decision, that one defining moment. And I could have walked away from that. When I got married, that's a defining moment. I make decisions every day based on the woman that I married. Every day. Dozens of decisions every day. When I leave here tonight, the first thing I'm going to do is call her before I even get out of the parking lot. Hey, is there anything you need me to pick up before I go home? I never did that in my entire life until I got married. But I make those decisions because I'm married now. That defining moment has changed all these decisions in my life. And the truth is you will have four to five to six defining moments in your entire life that will affect you for the rest of your life. And what I've learned is, is that almost all of them happen before you're 30 years old. Before you're 30 years old. Almost all of them. And I find that students especially miss these moments or mishandle these moments like the Israelites did in Numbers 13 and 14. And it costs them for their entire future. And every one of the defining moments I can think about in my life got, where God directed, where God was intimately involved. I remember fasting and praying for my wife for a year. I remember walking through that whole thing. I remember meeting her. I remember, I remember us praying together. I remember us, us praying this prayer to God. God, if you do not want us to be together, God, just help us not to be together. Just help those feelings not happen or whatever. We don't want to do anything that's going to take away from what you have for us in our life. I mean, I remember those conversations. They were very spirit-led, very God-directed. And man, it's been amazing. The call to ministry has been amazing. It's not that there's not the bumps along the road. There, there's always bumps along the road. But the perspective is there. And we trust God. God has those moments for you. God has those moments for you, defining moments in your life. And when you're being led by the Spirit, you can walk in those moments and receive the immeasurably more that God has for you. When you're not being led by the Spirit, when you come to those moments, you fumble in those moments, and you end up trying to play catch-up for the rest of your life. And that's hard for you to know and realize because you haven't had many opportunities for those moments yet. But people who are my age will say, please listen to what he's saying. Because it's true. So this summer, we want to help you guys out. I think the most important thing for you to do is press into God. Go deeper in your walk with him. And so we've put together a 30-day devotional for you. For the next 30 days, it starts this Friday, uh, tomorrow. And, um, and it's on you version. 
And so I think we actually have a thing we're going to put up on the screen so that you can see how to do it. And, um, and uh, basically this is, well, maybe. There you go. There's the plan. And if you, got, if you don't have version on your phone, you can download the version app. The cool thing is you can read your Bible right from your phone. It's easy. Like, man, if you're somewhere and you say, hey, I got some time to kill, you can pull it up right there. You can read your Bible from there. You can do all kinds of stuff from it. And this is how you can get access to the plan. We're going to leave this up for the rest of the night if you want to write it down, if you want to plug it into your phone. And the devotion, the 30-day devotion is from My Utmost for His Highest, which is the first devotional that I got when I became a Christian. And that devotional changed my life. And so I, we, we're, we want, I want you to get into that. I want you to check that thing out. And then the other thing I kind of want to just kind of throw out there to you guys is this, is that, is that I think that there's some of you that need to step into some defining moments in your life, maybe tonight or maybe in the near future. Create some of those defining moments. That God has been preparing you for such a time as this. Some of you need to cross over and to step into faith, period. You need to give your life to Christ. You've been standing on the sidelines for far too long. And I know for me, that is the first of my major defining moments in my life. The second is when I got called into ministry. And some of you here need to receive the call into ministry. That God has been impressing on your heart, has been... You, you feel him nudging you in that direction. I want to challenge you to step into that, to come and talk to me about that. We're going to be having a training, and there's, you know, already about 30-some students in here that kind of feel that call to ministry. We're going to be doing a training here in two weeks for those students to kind of help figure out what that looks like. And then on June the 7th, we're doing another big thing, uh, gathering for uh, all students that kind of feel that call in the ministry to train them for the next step, whether that's the mission field, children's pastor, youth pastor, pastor. I don't even, I don't even know. I just feel like God's bringing, calling into ministry, worship pastor, whatever it is, who, whatever you are, we have something for you that we want to help walk you through this. And we want to throw that out to you to step into those defining moments for your future. So, I want to go back to what I said at the very beginning. Your choices and big moments shape your future. Make them count. Let's pray. God, I just want to pray over these students tonight. I thank you, God, for your goodness and grace. I thank you, God, for the four to five defining moments in my life that, you have, that you've allowed me to walk through with you. God, I can't imagine trying to pick a spouse apart from you being at the center of it. I can't imagine going to a college without you leading me to that place. I mean, what a big decision that some of these high school students are making to go to college and they don't even consider taking it before you, seeking you. I mean, wherever they go to college, this will shape their career. It will it will shape the friends that they have for life, their best friends, the people in their wedding. It will most likely be one of the places that they find a spouse. I mean, it's a serious decision that we just treat casually all the time. God, I pray that we would relinquish our plans and put them in your hands and trust you that you have better for us. And God, I pray for that student that's in here that's been hanging on to the past hanging on to some past hurt, past pain, past sin, past experiences. God, I just pray, Lord, that you would just take it from them. 
that they would turn and stop looking at the past and they would face the future and trust you. So God, I just pray that each one of these students would make a decision to follow you, to dig in deep with you so that in their life when they come up on these defining moments, Lord, that it would be it would be more than just defining moments. They would be divine moments, God-inspired, God-centered moments. And God, that it would influence them and change them for the rest of their lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.